I am Eva O, and this is the Teaking Podcast. I have been a dominatrix since 2011, and I would like to spill the tea on my life. Thank you for listening. How do I get what I want? It's mind tricks. <laughs> sure, there are techniques that you can probably utilize on the people you're interacting with. Maybe I'll think some up and share them this episode. But to be frank, after all of these years, I almost feel like the one I'm tricking the most is myself. So how do I get what I want? First, we're going to go into the state of my mind. And then I will divulge as to some systems that I may or may not be experimenting with (laughs) in order to navigate the world so that it gives me what I want. (laughs) I think, however, that people focus on that second half a lot more than they do the first. And the way that I've found things to go for me is that they work a lot together, but it mostly has to do with how my mind looks. Everybody might have a different experience of this, but this is my experience as a professional dominatrix since 2011 and a very satisfied and content human being. So that first part, I didn't realize that most of the close people to me would describe me using the word contempt. I think that I mentioned it to the ex who suggested that I become a dominatrix quite recently when I saw him in Tokyo in the last few months. I said, everything's well, I feel very content. And he said, yeah, you were always very contented. (laughs) So I didn't understand that, but I think that that sense of contentment probably allows me such internal ease, but also affords me a clear enough path forward because people seem to respond to that. And my logic would go to, but if I really want something to happen, then that thing will more likely happen. But it seems that there's also a space for, I'm fine (laughs) if it happens or not. And then something lovely happens. (laughs) So the state of mind that you have to work with, I think has a lot to do with it. And for me, I've always been fascinated by just the way of life however it turns. I haven't had 
a lot of expectation aside from that my family is stable and available. <laughs> yeah. Even around food and around shelter, I've been very flexible because there's been moments in time when I've had to be financially independent and I was very young and I chose to be independent of my family younger than I probably should have been. And I didn't have a home. I didn't eat very well. I couldn't eat sometimes. And I was fine because I had chosen freedom. And that was more important to me than food. <laughs> I guess obviously there's going to be a level of starvation when that becomes an issue. But, you know, getting by on the occasional instant noodle works. And feeling that freedom. So I think that my values, as I've tried to outline them as I've gotten older and tried to refine my life process, I think that they mostly sit around a concept of freedom, you know, as free as one can be in this form, and a concept of peace and solitude, solitude enough so that one can have their own thoughts. <laughs> Not necessarily alone and a stability some sort of comfort mm. and I think that when I have those things and I've been very lucky to have those things on a psychological level since I was very young it's hard to want and I think when you don't want for much, clearly that sets a very blank slate for expectation and therefore disappointment. But like I was saying, for some reason, having that state of being encourages good things <laughs> to come your way. Yeah. There's probably also a configuration of being that encourages that but internally is what I am going through <laughs> yeah so this state of being this sense of contentment I feel like I have what I want but how my clients seem to respond how some friends seem to respond is that they want to be available for that, that they want to share in it and they want to contribute to it. And that brings a lot of wealth of many forms, emotional and attention and financial also. And I'm very blessed to have come from that configuration. And it's probably a lot to do with my family. And even now, I mean, now I'm doing well, but a few years ago when I stopped doing sex work and I took a year out to study, I had used up my savings the years prior living in London and not working because of a relationship, which I can maybe go into another time. 
but I didn't have that much. Nothing, essentially, in terms of money. But when I went back to my family and I stayed with them during this process of piecing my life back together and going to school again, my mother said to me, we have more than we need. And it reminds me of a time, and there's obviously a theme that goes through our family, but there was this issue when it came to my grandfather passing away and my grandmother, my step-grandmother, left the house that my mother and aunt had bought him to her, and then, then she left it to her kids who then ended up remortgaging it when it was fully paid up for and so on and so forth. And my mother was telling me about this. And I was maybe 16 or 17 at the time. So not as much cohesive thought as now, but enough to say that they have the house, but we have our minds. And I think <laughs> that was a very wise thing for a child to say, but I stand by it. And I think that's my saving grace. I have what I want. I have the ability to see a moment and find a joy from it, whether it's, I say small, but it's not small to me, you know, to watch the wind go through leaves, to feel the air as a, the car drive drove away this morning. And it was just, I don't know why, there's little magic that always happens. And it makes me feel joyful so much all the time. So there's some mind tricks going on <laughs> for me to find that contentment. There's an ability to observe and to wonder, yeah, to wonder at life. And I think that sets me up for a good basis. And then people tend to be drawn to that and to be generous with it. But that said, when it comes to my experiences, <laughs> moving through dungeons and power dynamics, there are a few things one has also learned. <laughs> I think that my sense of contentment and joy encourages generosity, but I think also there's something to be said for being so still that you can watch somebody so closely that you start to understand what it is that they want and how to align that with your desires. <laughs> Some would say manipulation, right? But in the context of a dungeon, it makes for a successful se session. I guess when it starts to infiltrate relationships, it's about being honest with yourself as to what you're up to and why you're doing it. Because I think all of us are up to it. All of us want to coerce others into understanding our perspective and gaining satiation as a 
communal experience. But I think being aware of it is probably the best that we can do because I don't think it's going to stop. I think that my ability to look quietly and carefully at how somebody is acting, reacting, what they are saying in front of me, how they move in the world around them, how they try to move the world around them. I think that my ability to watch it and not judge it, but just to take in the information is very helpful also. Not only in being able to choose the people who may suit me better, who I will more likely like, quite simply, but it enables you to see what their motivations are and to know the makeup of a person in greater detail, essentially, so that when the time comes for you to break them down <laughs> and therefore for them to be able to be honest and free with you where generosity can then come more freely this is a pattern I have noticed <laughs> I can't say that I went into domination into relating with submissives or slaves in a way where I thought, oh, I'm going to go in and get what I want. I think, well, I obviously went in pretty naive and I just thought, oh, this is something different. I'm going to try it. But it was suggested to me because I have an assertive voice, because I clear a pathway towards my needs and my wants. <laughs> and I do that quite intrinsically. And the job has taught me what those steps can look like in a more systematic way. But I think that I have always had a natural predilection towards satiating my desires and quietly observing until I can figure out a way for that to happen. <laughs> uh. But also not necessarily being too attached to an outcome. I think that's easier to say now than it was when I was much younger. I think that I had a lot more expectations from other people when I was younger based upon how reliable my family were. I think that I thought that the world was like that, naively. And it took a lot of pain to understand that it is not necessarily and that you have to watch before finding those that are aligned with that. And then you have to keep watchful in order to maintain that stability. <laughs> because it's chaos out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that it's been also interesting to navigate the world as somebody who's understood what they've wanted, which I think is a huge component of feeling satiated. I think understanding what it is that you really feel like or really would like to move towards or 
knowing in my example that curiosity and challenge really fuels my energy and that feeling um, stable and comforted and like I can quietly relate with a small group that I trust deeply. I think that that took time to understand, but um, I totally lost that train of thought because I was thinking about how lovely all my people are. <laughs> but, uh, and so I think that I've been lucky to be able to have been able to be assertive and to figure out what my wants and needs are in life, which are a great component of actually being able to move towards them. But in all of this navigating, stepping outside of my family, stepping out into the world, I started to learn, understand that there were these things called egos and that you needed to pander to them in order to stay safe or as a social cohesive unit. And I had understood that to a certain extent in my family, but I think things are more bluntly shared in my family than they are out and about in the world for the most part. And I learned to let other people, and especially men, think that things were their idea. <laughs> as a way for us to all be a socially cohesive unit. I remember coming up with this beautiful little marketing idea in uh, Shanghai when I lived there and I was promoting parties with my ex and uh, because it was in a, an old bomb shelter, I thought of the idea to put our it was very cute to put our uh, flyer on these little cans, like uh, we were storing food, right? And just put them randomly in different places. And obviously you notice that kind of a thing. And I remember him saying something like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how I came up with that idea. And I said, yeah, it's because I planted it. <laughs> it was actually my idea. This was like after the fact. And he said, why would you do that? And it made me realize that I had probably been doing this for a while. I was maybe 20 at this stage, out of my family, you know, for that protective kind of environment where you don't have to relate too deeply since I was maybe 16, 17. And I remember that statement, but I locked it away and I just kept going about my life. But I would meet more and more partners, especially who were more receptive to my direction. And I f found out how to be more free and less letting them think it was their idea. And that's when that joke from my ex happened, that I should become a dominatrix. And however many years later, I took him up on that joke. And the job has been very informative because even though I come from a foundation of what is it that you want, you know, my family asking me, like, how can we make that happen? 
Like, why do you think that is? Like, refining what it is that I want from life and figuring out how to communicate that. Even though I come from that, learning how that fits in the world is a different story. Learning how that fits as a woman in the world where a woman doesn't necessarily assert herself, themselves, is a whole other thing. But then that aspect of me being recognized and me following up on that later and stepping into the dungeon and being around a lot of men who are interested in my direction day in and day out, hour after hour, and being paid for it, it's made me very confident in being able to assert my belief in my direction and communicate what it is that I might want from the time ahead of us. <laughs> and I guess it's quite satiating to be satisfied. And I've been able to bring that out of the dungeon, haven't I? I get to use these skills in all these wondrous ways. I communicate with people differently out in the world now. I stand my ground and I'm comfortable with the awkward silence more. <laughs> if somebody says something, what I think is inappropriate, I will not keep quiet anymore. And I found ways to say something so that it will not aggravate, but it will address. And this, of course, is not always entirely accurate. I do it to the best of my ability and my judgment of the situation. But the dungeon has taught me how to do that. And the reinforcement of these people enjoying my freedom and my assertion to speak has been very educational for me being able to free that speech in me. So how do I get what I want? <laughs> it's thanks to the people who are receptive to listening. It's thanks to the family of mine that I've always asked me what it is that I want and always considered the best way to make that happen for all of us. It is the people who have taken the time to listen to who I am and not judge it and give me feedback on it. It is me giving myself the opportunity to practice parts of myself that were so unrefined and so held back sometimes. And so confused as to how to fit itself into the world. And it's me taking the time to sit quietly and watch those in front of me. And not to think, what do I think about that? But to just notice. Because in that space of non-judgment, they feel more generous 
there's more an ability to be with somebody. And if your satisfaction is gained from connecting, then you're satiated in that in and of itself. But if your satisfaction is gained from the generosity, then that can also be gained from the connection itself. <laughs> How often do I use that? Me personally, I think that I'm not sure if the payoff is good enough because the payoff in the case of me not necessarily having an interest in paying attention and just paying attention for paying attention's sake in order to get something out of somebody. I think that I've done it and I need to do it for work, but I need to limit it. Otherwise, it just doesn't sit with how I'm configured and it makes me very angry. <laughs> but I'm sure there's some people who are not configured like this and they can really go for it. <laughs> yeah, perhaps I've hinted at how you could manage that in other episodes. I feel like I have. I've talked about a lot, huh? So I think this might be the second last episode of this season, my first season of the Tea King podcast. And I'll go into more reflections in the final episode. But I've gone through a lot. <laughs> a lot of emotions, a lot of stories. And am I getting what I want out of it? So far, so good. It's been intense, but maybe that's how I like it. <laughs> so, thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time.